0: called Living in Between as we take a look at the themes of Advent uh, through the lens of the already but not yet, that we're already saved in Christ but we're looking forward to Christ's second coming when our salvation will be consummated and we will be glorified forever with Him. So grab a Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. To get us started this morning, we're just going to read two uh, verses, but we will touch on several others as we make our way through the passage this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to read verses 8 through 9, it's on page 1014 in your pew Bible. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to read verses 8 through 9. To hear God's word. <clears throat> Peter writes Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy. Joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, fill our hearts today with faith in Jesus. With hope in Jesus. With love. With His joy. And with His peace. I pray that every single one of us here this morning would leave here Changed by Jesus, for Christ's sake. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Survey says, that phrase became very popular on the television game show called Family Feud. Family Feud has enjoyed 45 years of being on and off the air. Family Feud has enjoyed six different hosts. I'd be interested to find out after the worship service which host was your favorite host of the television game show called Family Feud. As you know, Family Feud has two families battling against one another. And so they have these random surveys that they take of with a hundred random people, and they, they give them a category or a question, and people are supposed to think of the one word or phrase that comes to their mind when they think of something, and then the families have to guess what the answers are. I don't know if the show Family Feud has ever made this topic one of their topics, but I'm curious if we imagine today that a hundred people in Barto were randomly surveyed and they were asked this question use one word to describe Christians use one word to describe Christians what would they say? if the people randomly surveyed were not Christians I think there's a possibility they would say Judgmental, hypocritical, legalistic, closed-minded. Maybe you know family members or friends that have made those accusations about you or about us. But Let's imagine that the survey was pulled of a hundred random Christians, and so they're all friendly to the faith, and They were asked, use use one word to describe Christians. What do you think Christians might say? Loving? Generous? Forgiving? Friendly? But here's what I wonder. Regardless of which group is polled, Would the word joyful even make the list? I wonder. Would the word joyful make the list? Well, regardless of whether or not the word joyful makes our list or the culture's list, the word joyful. Makes God's list, which is what matters most. As we've been taking a look at these themes of Advent, hope, love, and now we come to joy, we see the word joyful in verse 8. It says, We are to rejoice with joy. And lest you think that that just means, Oh, just look on the bright side, Tanner, don't be such a bummer, don't be such a buzzkill. There are beautiful Christmas lights in the sanctuary. Just look on the bright side. Quit looking at things as a glass half empty. Look at it as a glass half full. This means far more than that. The scholar Simon J. Kistemacher, who's a professor at uh, Reformed Theological Seminary, says this about verse 8. And when the passage says rejoice with joy, it says shouting for joy. That cannot be contained. Like when you win a game of bingo. Or when the Florida Gators actually score a touchdown. It's shouting for joy that cannot be contained. And so regardless of whether or not the word joyful would make your list or my list of the one word. That should describe Christians. In God's mind. Which is what matters most. The word joyful does make the list. Sam Storms, in his ESV expositor's commentary, says this that this faith that we have in Jesus Christ involves enjoying Jesus. In fact, he says that joy is the highest, most sanctified form. Of the Christian experience and he's a ref- solid reformed expositor are you living with joy what is it that keeps us from living with joy well the first thing that, that, that helps us that prevents us or causes a little bit of a struggle to live with joy is that we all experience trials and tests in our lives And what I love about the Word of God is, number one, that it's true, and I love seeing how the Word of God is true truth, that it doesn't brush the the disgusting details of life under the rug of denial, but rather it faces the frustrating details of our life head on. And so notice that as Peter writes to the early church, he doesn't ignore the frustrating and Tests and trials that they're facing. If you look back at first Peter chapter one, verse one, we didn't read it, but notice it says Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. And he goes on to say in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. What's he saying? He's saying, I know your trials. I know your tests. Persecution has come upon us as followers of Jesus Christ, and you've been disperse throughout the known world now because we are being persecuted for our faith. But in the face of that, Peter says, rejoice with joy. So just because me and you face tests and trials in our life doesn't give us an excuse to try and live for Jesus without living with joy. You could say that, well, one of the reasons that we struggle to live with joy is because of the time and the distance that separates us from Christ. That we live in this inner period, this time between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming, and we've never seen Jesus face to face. We've never heard Jesus audibly speak to us. We'll notice how this passage is particularly applicable to my life and your life because the, the Apostle Peter who was a witness of Jesus Christ, who was an eyewitness of of Jesus' teaching, who was an eyewitness of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, writes to the early church that either had never seen Jesus because of distance or because they're second-generation Christians. And notice what he says to them in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, You love him. Why? Because he first loved you. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. So time and distance don't give us an excuse to live without joy for Jesus. Because like the people that the Apostle Peter is addressing in this passage today... They are like us. They lived in between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. Yet they lived with joy. But I want to share with you the real reason why I think some of us struggle to live with joy. Is because we've been given terrible theology somewhere along the way. Somewhere along the way we've been told and we've been convinced that to be the most reverent To be the most holy, to be the most sanctified, you have to look as if you're sucking on a lemon while chasing it with vinegar. And this passage says that the highest, most sanctified form of the Christian experience is to rejoice with joy. To shout for joy that cannot be contained. Why? Because God has made a way where there was no way. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so this morning, friends, I want you to, to be encouraged that you are to live with joy. And lest you think that this is contrary to our standards, what does the Westminster Shorter Catechism say man's chief end is? Man's chief end is, quote it with me, To glorify God to. Oh wow, that sounded like you really enjoyed it. (laughs) Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. When does forever begin? Right now. So, friends, I want to focus your attention upon 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. And I want to encourage you in the face of distance from Jesus, in the face of the trials and tests of your life, I want to encourage you today to live with joy for Jesus. And I want us to focus on two reasons why you should live with joy. Two reasons Jesus gives you to live with joy. There are a multitude of reasons, but just two we'll focus on this morning. The first reason you're to live with joy is because Jesus saves you. Now, Jesus saves you. Now, I want you to notice the deep, delicious doctrines that form the foundation of Peter's joy. These are deep, delicious doctrines that are distinctive of the Presbyterian Reformed faith and tradition. Notice what the foundation of their joy is in the midst of being exiles dispersed throughout the world. Notice what he says about them in verse 1. You are elect exiles. What's the foundation of their joy? The doctrine of election, the doctrine of predestination. That just as before Jacob was born, God chose Jacob not because there was anything good in Jacob as we were reminded of in Sunday school this morning. He was a liar. He was a cheater. He was cheap, white, trash. I can say that because I'm from West Virginia. It takes one to know one. So why did God choose Jacob? There's not because of anything good that God ever foresaw in Jacob. But according to God's good pleasure and will, God chose to save Jacob and use Jacob. What's the foundation of your joy, church? It's the deep, delicious doctrine of election. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be atoning sacrifice for our sins. That in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The other deep, delicious doctrine that's the foundation of his joy we see in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. What's the foundation of your joy? Because you're saved right now. Why? Because God chose you before the foundation of the world. And because God moved in your heart and your life through the power of the Holy Spirit to regenerate your heart. To take you from spiritual death to spiritual life. Not because of any works that you've done, lest you should boast. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. Why should you rejoice and live with joy today? Because Jesus has saved you now. You are saved. Your status with God is secure Because you've been declared innocent of all charges in the eyes of the holy, just God. Because when he looks upon you, he no longer sees you clothed in your sinfulness, but he sees you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Why? Because you've been justified by him. And so now, church, you are saved. You're saved right now. Your status is secure. And that is why you should live with joy. No matter what you get or don't get in Christmas for Christmas this year, no matter what you get or you don't get in a stocking this year, you've been given the greatest gift ever which is salvation in Jesus Christ. Rejoice with joy. How. Does this passage describe the joy? He says it's inexpressible in verse 8. In other words, it describes a joy that's all-consuming. It's overwhelming. It makes you speechless. It defies all human efforts of understanding. Why should you live with joy? Because Jesus saves you. There's a story that's been told, I'm assuming it's true. It's told of a young pastor that took over an old church in Brooklyn, New York. It was an old church that had a rich history, but they were low on people, they were low on finances, and the pastor and his wife decided that they wanted to make the building pretty and nice for the Christmas season. And so, the young pastor and his wife scraped together the best money, that they, as much money as they could, and they painted the walls of the sanctuary. But the week prior to Christmas, uh, a horrible wind and snow and rainstorm had blown through the area, and it had caused the sanctuary to begin to leak. And behind the pulpit of this church in Brooklyn was not a beautiful organ like we have, but it was just plaster. And as a result of the rain, plaster just fell off the wall. And the pastor and his wife were absolutely discouraged because they had used all the money that they had. The church was limited on resources and they didn't know what to do. In a depression, they, they went looking for something that they could buy or get that would cover up the ugly plaster that had fallen off the wall. And as they walked into an antique store, they found this beautiful beautiful tablecloth that was made of gold and ivory. They purchased it for less than $10 and they took it and they hung it up in the sanctuary and there was a beautiful cross, gold cross in the middle of it and they thought, okay, this will this will take care of it. The best we can, as they made their way out to, to leave that day, they noticed an, uh, a middle-aged lady that was standing there waiting on the bus. It was snowstorm had begun to To kick up and the pastor knew it was about 40 minutes before the bus would arrive. And so the pastor ushered the middle-aged woman into the sanctuary and told her to to get warm there as she waited on the bus. And as she made her way into the sanctuary, she looked up at that gold and ivory tablecloth and she froze. The woman asked the pastor if she could approach it and he said absolutely. She made her way up to the tablecloth. She lifted up the side of it and noticed that indeed her initials were in it. She told the pastor that years ago she had made that tablecloth as a gift for her husband. They lived in Vienna, Austria and when The Nazis invaded Austria. She and her husband were separated. Her husband sent her on ahead of her, hopefully to help her escape the Nazi regime. The pastor asked the lady what had happened to her husband, and she said, I was told that he died in a concentration camp. The pastor prayed with the woman, and soon the bus arrived And she left. Christmas Eve, the service took place. And after the service was over, the people began to make their way out the door, and the pastor greeted people. There was one middle aged gentleman that hung around in the service at the end of the service and asked to speak with the pastor. The gentleman asked the pastor where he had gotten the tablecloth, and he said he had bought it at an antique store. And the, the middle-aged man asked the pastor if he could approach the tablecloth, and the pastor said, sure enough, you may. And the man, middle-aged man made his way up past the pulpit, lifted up the edge of the tablecloth, and noticed that the initials that were written there were the initials of his wife, whom he hadn't seen in 15 to 20 years. The pastor told the man that he knew exactly where the woman lived that made the tablecloth. And the pastor took that man to be reunited with his wife. Can you imagine the joy they experienced when they saw one another again? Do you imagine that the word was the the joy was inexpressible and left them speechless? Don't you imagine that it was just tears of joy that flooded down their face as they simply embraced and kissed? Doesn't that heart, doesn't that story warm your heart? Friends, there's a far greater reunion story that the Bible tells us. It's a story of reconciliation between us and God. And what has separated us is not the Nazi regime. It's not a war that's waged around us. But it is a war that is waged within us. And the enemy is sin. And God be praised because this morning we can rejoice with joy because we have been reunited with our Creator through our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And what we have before us in the Word of God this morning is a tapestry far greater. It's a tapestry that contains a quilt of promise and fulfillment that is threaded together through the the scarlet thread of redemption that has been woven by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and this reconciliation, this salvation is secure, and it can be yours now. And you can leave here today living with joy no matter who or what you face. That's the first reason we have to live with joy, friends, because Jesus saves you now changed if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old has gone and the new has come but the second reason that this passage gives us to live with joy is because not only that Jesus saves you now but Jesus saves you forever and ever and ever Jesus saves you forever Where do we see this assurance of permanent, secured salvation, that we're saved by Jesus forever? We see it back in verse three. He says, He says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. How, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How does this assure us that we're saved forever? Because if we take a look at an understanding of redemptive history through the eyes of God, God's people believed in a resurrection someday. And what the Apostle Paul tells us in other passages of Scripture is that Jesus' resurrection represents the first fruits of the resurrection. That Jesus' resurrection is not just some magician trick that God's doing to impress us, but it's a redemptive act. In the eyes of God that happened in the course of real space time that carries eternal implications for God's elect. That since Jesus has been resurrected, it secures the fact that all those who die in Christ will one day to be resurrected and with Jesus forever. And so the foundation that you know that Jesus saves you forever... It's first and foremost because Jesus has been resurrected. But notice that he highlights that you're saved forever because what you've been given as is an eternal inheritance in verse 4 that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you. Why should you live with joy today? Because Jesus saves you forever. And what assurance do you have that he saves you forever? Because your salvation is secure in Christ because it can be untouched by your death. It will be unstained by the evil of the world. And it is unimpaired by time. And it's secured because of the omnipotence of God, verse 5. Who by God's power, who, who is... Being secured by God's power, you are. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. What is he saying? You're saved now and you will be saved forever. And what will be the final assurance that you're saved forever when Jesus Christ returns in his second advent, in his second coming? And so he tells the the early church to live with joy. Because you're saved not only now, but your salvation is secure forever in Christ Because it is God's omnipotent, strong right hand that holds his elect. And will never let anyone or anything pull them or wrestle them out of his grip. Live with joy. Because Jesus has saved you forever and ever. How many of you have ever heard of the, the theologian Thomas Boston? Okay, you need to. Thomas Boston is a great Puritan. A book he wrote several years ago was called The Fourfold State of Man. And he goes throughout the course of redemptive history, and he talks about the different states of mankind. And the first state is the, man, the state of man in the garden, that we were, we, were, we were born and created in innocence. But after Genesis 3, we are stained by our sin nature. So in the in the garden... Originally, Adam and Eve, they were able to sin or able not to sin. But then after the fall of mankind, we're only able to sin. We're not able to not sin, is how he says it. But in the gospel, we've been saved by God's grace. We've been regenerated. We've been made new creation in Christ. And so now we're able not to sin again. But he says what highlights the Christian life is the glorification of us, the consummation of our salvation in the new heavens and the new earth. And do you know, what he, do you know how he describes the, the fourth state of mankind for those that are saved by God's grace? That here's what will differentiate us in heaven from Adam and Eve in the garden. In the garden, they were able to sin or able not to sin. But in heaven, we will be unable. To sin is what Thomas Boston says. We will be unable to sin because we've been glorified in Jesus Christ. That word there that says filled with his glory, it describes the fact that we've already been filled with God's glory. And it has continuing implications for us both now and Forever. So leave here today with joy, not with disappointment. Because Jesus saves you now and forever. Have you ever gotten a Christmas present that disappointed you? I have. It came from my wicked stepmother. My dad got remarried when I was about 13 or 14. And though you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't allow your children to do this, my dad would allow me to drive to the store when I was 14 years old, as long as it was convenient for them. I could go get groceries, get them medicine. And so my stepmother made me this promise that if I would detail their cars every Saturday, that maybe someday one of those two vehicles would be mine. My dad smoked, and my stepmother smoked, and so every Saturday morning after I mowed the grass, raked the lawn, I would wash their cars, and I would detail their cars, and my dad had a a green Toyota truck, and it was a nice truck, it's a four-wheel drive, Well, he had to lock the hubcaps, remember those old trucks, he had to lock the hubcaps and put it into four-wheel drive, do we even use four-wheel drive in Florida, a lot of people have four-wheel drive trucks in Florida, I don't know why we do that, anyway, But then my stepmother had a Nissan SX, and man, that was a sharp car. And every Saturday, I would detail those cars, and I would try to make the the car not smell like cigarette smoke. Have you ever tried to get a car not smell like cigarette smoke? That's very difficult. I thought to myself, maybe one day, one of these two vehicles will be mine. And so I turned 16, and it was Christmas. And I thought to myself, this year could be the year. Well, my dad either hides behind the pine trees beside our house, a new car for me. Or at least gives me the keys to one of the vehicles. And so I'd open all the Christmas presents. I was beginning to feel a little bit disappointed. And then my stepmother smiled and she said, Ah, Tanner, there's one more gift. And she handed me a box that looked like a box you would put a dress shirt or a t-shirt in. Remember, you used to get at Belk or J.C. JCPenney's. And I opened it up and it was a license plate. Not the license plate you get from the DMV or the the tax assessor's office. But it was one of those fun, decorative license plates that you put on the front of the vehicle. And it said this, Tanner's toy. It was a play on words on the Toyota truck that my dad owned. That it was Tanner's toy. And I looked at them and I said, you're giving me the Toyota truck? Dad said, "Uh, not exactly. I mean, you can use it to run errands for us. You can use it if you need it. I said, so I could drive it back and forth to high school? No, not exactly. And I thought to myself, then what's changed? Nothing changed in my driving privileges, nothing changed in the gift that I was given. They just gave me a goofy, tacky license plate. That now all of my friends were going to mock me when they saw me pulling up in my dad's Toyota truck with that license plate that said, Tanner's Toy. I was disappointed. Because nothing changed. Here's my concern for followers of Jesus Christ. My concern is that we come to these Advent services... We sing songs about Christ's first coming. We talk about, theoretically, Jesus' second coming. But we leave here disappointed, convinced that nothing's changed. Or we leave here unchanged. Friends, everything has changed. Because God had a plan of redemption that was promised and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And the reason we gather here in corporate worship every Sunday is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds to remind ourselves why we are to live with joy regardless of the things we're facing, regardless of those things that we're enjoying or not enjoying, because we've been saved by Jesus now, and we've been saved by Jesus forever. Friends, rejoice with joy. Live with joy, because there's nothing in this book Nothing in this book that says, Thou shalt be miserable all the days of thy life. Rather, live with joy. Because no matter what you face, you live with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. For the hope that we have in Christ. We thank you for the love that you've demonstrated in Christ. That you loved us enough in our sin to send Jesus to die for our sins. Help us to look in faith to him. And to rejoice with joy. Father, help us to leave here today changed. Because we're saved. We are being saved. We're being sanctified by you. And someday you will come to take us home to be with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's respond to the grace of God.